Welcome to the First Church Orlando podcast. Here you will find recordings of weekly sermons, devotions, interviews, and seminar recordings from the First United Methodist Church of Orlando. For more information about First Church Orlando, please visit our website at firstchurchorlando.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now, enjoy the podcast. Our scripture lesson for today comes from the Old Testament book of Ruth. Here are these words. During the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. A man with his wife and two sons went from Bethlehem of Judah to dwell in the territory of Moab. The name of that man was Elimelech. The name of his wife was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilian. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They entered the territory of Moab and settled there. But Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. Then only she was left, along with her two sons. They took wives for themselves, Moabite women. The name of the first was Orpah, and the name of the second was Ruth. And they lived there for about ten years. But both of the sons... Malon and Killian also died. Only the woman was left, Naomi, without her two children and without her husband. Then she arose along with her daughters-in-law to return from the field of Moab. Because while in the territory of Moab, she had heard that the Lord had paid attention to his people by providing food for them. She left the place where she had been and her two daughters-in-law went with her. They went along the road to return to the land of Judah. Naomi said to her daughters-in-law, Go, turn back, each of you to the household of your mother. May the Lord deal faithfully with you, just as you have done with the dead and with me. May the Lord provide for you so that you may find security, each woman in the household of her husband. Then she kissed them and they lifted up their voices. And wept. But they replied to her, No. Instead, we will return with you to your people. Naomi replied, Turn back, my daughters. Why would you go with me? Will there again be sons in my womb that they would be husbands for you? Turn back, my daughters. Go. I am too old for a husband. If I were to say that I have hope, even if I had a husband tonight, And even more, if I were to bear sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you refrain from having a husband? No, my daughters. This is more bitter for me than for you, since the Lord's will has come out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth stayed with her. Naomi said, Look, your sister-in-law is returning to her people and to her gods. Turn back after your sister-in-law. But Ruth replied, Don't urge me to abandon you, to turn back from following after you. Wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. And your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die. 
and there I will be buried. May the Lord do this to me, and more so, if even death separates me from you. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her about it. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So for the last few weeks, we've been in a sermon series related to joy. We're in the season of joy, the season of Easter. And a few weeks ago, I had the opportunity to to kick off this sermon series talking about the difference and the similarities between joy and happiness. How they are alike and how they are different. And I was standing after the service, uh, as pastors do, greeting folks and talking to people after the service. And, and a church member came up to me and said, um, you know, we had a little brief conversation after the service. And then this church member asked a question. Can you have joy without love? Now, here's a little insider tip. When preachers are greeting, and, and it, not just me, I would just say preachers in general. When we're greeting people after the service, we, we love to, to see you. We love to say hi and to connect with you. But it's really great when people like make a, a positive comment about the sermon. It's like, oh, this person was awake for part of it, at least. And, uh, you know, had some sort of, you know, positive remark to say. And um, so that's always nice, right? Like, who of us, preachers or otherwise, don't like to hear positive comments, right? We all like to hear positive things about what we've done um, or uh, maybe what we didn't do. Who knows? But what's even better when you're a preacher is when someone says something, either asks a question or makes a comment that says, wow, this person was really listening. Right? Was listening to at least something that I said, uh, that resonated with them and connected with them. So I'm not telling you this so that after the service you feel compelled to have to like say something to Emily or that you feel like, oh, I have to take notes during the sermon so that I can say something to her afterwards. No, I'm just, you know, giving you that tip because really, regardless whether we're, whether we're preachers or anything, right? When someone shows that they were listening, that they were connected, but they, it feels like, oh, they are with me and whatever it is. And I think we all like that feeling. But let me get back to that question. Can you have joy without love? What do you think? No. What do you think? No. It's not a trick question, I don't think. I don't think you can have joy without love. If we go back to Dr. Brene Brown's definition of joy, she says joy is an intense feeling of deep spiritual connection, pleasure, and appreciation. She calls it the good mood of the soul. If joy is a feeling of deep spiritual connection, I don't think we can connect with God, with other people, with ourselves, with creation in a deep, meaningful way without there being at least some kind of love. And if you think about your own relationships, people that you are closest with, the the relationships that are the deepest, the strongest, the most um, impactful for you, there's probably a lot of love. 
And some of these other relationships that maybe are a little bit more surface level, they're not as deep, maybe they're not as long-lasting, there's love there, but maybe maybe not quite to the depth of love that there is in some of your other relationships. I don't think we can cultivate deep spiritual connections without love. And so today we're going to talk about how love and joy both relate to sacrifice. A sacrifice is an offering of animal, plant, human life, or other material possession to a deity. Earlier in the service, we participated in the offering. Offering plates were passed among the pews, and the ushers brought these the offering back up, and we prayed over them, and we placed them here at the table. It's symbolic of how in the Old Testament, the people were instructed to make offerings, to make sacrifices to God. And back in the Old Testament days, this was giving a portion of their first fruits. So it might be crops that they had grown, or it might be an animal um, that they had raised that then was killed and sacrificed and offered to God. The priest received it and prayed over it and placed it at the table. And that was part of their worship, to make this offering to God. Not only is this in Judeo-Christian tradition, but in other religious traditions as well, they have um, offerings to God. A sacrifice is also a verb. It means to give up, to surrender, to permit injury or disadvantage to self for the sake of someone else. We give up for the sake of others. We see this in the person of Jesus. We believe the Son of God came and became God with us. God surrendered and sacrificed and put on human flesh, took on the limits of humanity to be with us. At Easter, we remember how God and Jesus gave up Jesus' life on the cross out of love for us. In John's gospel, we hear Jesus tell his disciples, this is my commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. No one has greater love than to give up one's life for one's friends. Jesus embodies living sacrificially. And Jesus invites us to also live sacrificially, to give up our time, to surrender our desire to be right, to risk our reputations, and to put others ahead of ourselves, all for the sake of love. We see love and sacrifice in the story of Ruth and Naomi. Naomi, her husband and two sons, gave up their homeland, their known and comfortable life in Bethlehem, and moved to Moab. Why? Because of a famine. Because of there wasn't enough food for them to eat. They had to make that sacrifice, that really difficult choice, in order to preserve their lives. And so they moved to Moab. They became strangers in a strange land, living among these Moabites, who were, for the Israelites, they kind of looked down upon the Moabites. They saw them as wild people. They saw them as loose women. 
They saw them as other. So Naomi and her husband and two sons, they sacrificed their own reputations to kind of to preserve their life. They put themselves in a vulnerable state and moving to Moab. And so while they're in Moab, the father, Elimelech, he dies. But it's okay because Ruth still has her two sons, or Naomi still has her two sons. And while they're living in Moab, these sons become of age that they decide they want to get married. And they didn't go back to Israel to find wives. They found their wives in Moab, which is sort of scandalous. You see, Israelites were not supposed to marry non-Israelites. Israelites were supposed to kind of keep their marriages within um, the, the same people of faith. But Naomi's two sons, because they were living in Moab, they looked around and they were like, hey, we like these women. This is who we're going to marry. And it says they lived together. They were married for about 10 years. Their relationship must have been pretty good. Because after these two sons died, Naomi and Orpah, the daughters-in-law, they don't immediately run back to their families. They stay with their mother-in-law. Those of you that have in-laws, would you stay with your in-laws? Maybe, maybe not. Naomi has in her mind a vision for her life. She has experienced grief and heartache and hardship. She's a widow. She has lost her two sons. She is vulnerable. She is alone. She is bitter. She's angry. She's grief-stricken. And so she decides she's going to go back to Bethlehem. She's going to go back to her homeland because the famine is over. And so at least there will be food, hopefully, for her to eat. And maybe she can beg and find shelter among her own people. And so Naomi has in her mind's eye a picture of how her life is going to go. And it's going to be hard and it's going to be bad. And she's going to be in her grief. And it's she's going to suffer. But that's what she has kind of decided in her own brain, in her own life, what she's going to do. Her daughter-in-laws at first are like, no, we're going to go with you. And she says, no, stay here. Go back to your families. There can still be a future for you. You could still get married. You could have children. You will at least be among your family and be protected. And so Orpah does. And there's no hard feelings. Naomi's like, yes, you did what I told you to do. Good. But Ruth stubbornly says, no, I'm not going to leave you. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Ruth and Naomi, they have both lost so much. Ruth refuses to give up relationship with Naomi. Ruth clings to her connection with Naomi and promises to follow her no matter what. Ruth sacrifices her connection with her birth family in order to stay with her mother-in-law. Ruth gives up her homeland to go settle with Naomi and Judah. Ruth risks becoming a social outcast as a widowed Moabite in Judah among the Israelites. Ruth sacrifices out of a deep and abiding love 
for Naomi. Naomi thought she was giving up her relationship with Ruth. Instead, Naomi had to sacrifice her own plan for Ruth's life. Naomi had to surrender her plan to go it alone back to Judah. Naomi had to give up her grieving isolation and accept Ruth's continued presence in her life. Naomi also sacrifices. She sacrifices her preconceived ideas and vision for how her life was going to go. This relationship between Naomi and Ruth, it describes the Hebrew word hesed. Hesed means covenant love, loving kindness and grace. Hesed is a never stopping, always and forever love. Hesed often is used to describe God's love for God's people. While God's Hesed love is the ultimate kind of love, Hesed love can also exist between people when those people choose to love one another sacrificially. When we talk about how we are instructed to love God and to love other people, it's that kind of unconditional, steadfast, faithful Hesed love. Dr. Uni P. Lee says that Ruth witnesses not only to divine Hesed covenantal faithfulness, but especially to human acts of Hesed that are transgressive. That is, they defy convention and cross cultural boundaries and go beyond the requirements of Torah. Hesed love goes beyond the requirements of the law. It goes beyond the requirements of maybe societal norms. Hesed love goes above and beyond for the sake of others, regardless of what other people may think or say about it. The story of Ruth and Naomi, it's an allegory. It points to God's faithful, unconditional love for people. Just as Ruth refuses to give Naomi up, so too does God refuse to give us up. Just as both Ruth and Naomi sacrifice for each other, so too does God sacrifice for us. Not every sacrifice involves dying for another person. Not every sacrifice requires moving to another country. Not every sacrifice involves your in-laws. We make sacrifices of our time, our attention, our financial resources, and more. No matter the sacrifice and no matter the size of the sacrifice, you and I can tell when a sacrifice is made joyfully, And when a sacrifice is done begrudgingly, the action may be the same, but the attitude is different. Psychiatrist Viktor Frankl said, our perspective toward life is our final and ultimate freedom. Our perspective literally has the power to keep us alive 
or to cause our death. We may not have control over a situation. We may not have control over other people. But we do have control of ourselves, our words, our actions, and our perspective. A perspective that can look for the good, even when life is hard. We can choose to have a perspective that strives to maintain relationship, even in the face of suffering. When we choose that kind of perspective, can lead to life and to joy. The Dalai Lama shares, when you look at the same event from a wider perspective, your sense of worry and anxiety reduces, and you have greater joy. Archbishop Desmond Tutu calls this wider perspective a God's eye perspective that allows us to transcend our limited identity and limited self-interest. A God's eye perspective. Considers how God creates all people in God's image and likeness. A God's eye perspective remembers God's love for all of God's creation, including every single person that God has ever created. When we take a God's eye perspective, remembering this about other people, perhaps it may make it just a little bit easier to love other people when we remember how God has sacrificed for us, perhaps it may make it a little easier for us to think how we might sacrifice for other people for the sake of love. When we stop and we count all of the ways that God continues to bless us, that God's eye perspective may make it a little easier for us to share those blessings with others. Because we remember that it came from God in the first place. On this Mother's Day, we acknowledge all of the women in our lives who have sacrificed for us. Not all women have sacrificed for us. And sometimes that is hard. Not all women have been particularly joyful in our lives. And we admit that today as well. But on this Mother's Day, we can think of women who have joyfully sacrificed for us. Mothers, daughters, aunts, grandmothers, sisters, nieces, wives, partners, teachers, mentors, and friends. Women like Ruth, who have refused to give us up. Women like Naomi, who have made room for us in their hearts and in their lives. Women who have loved us as God loves us. 
So today we thank God for these women, whoever they are, whether they're here, alive among us, or alive in our hearts and our memories. May we embody their love and their joyful sacrifice today. Let us pray. God of Ruth and Naomi, creator of women in your own image, born of a woman, in the midst of a world half-women, carried by women to mission fields around the globe, made known by women to all the children of the earth. You joyfully give yourself to us so that we may know you and love you as you know us and love us. Give us your eyes to see people as you see them, to see ourselves as you see us. Give us the courage to change our minds and our perspectives. Give us humility and strength so that we may give ourselves for other people for the sake of love. Fill us with your joy so that your face on earth may be seen in all its beauty. And so that all people may become whole. We pray all this in the name of the creator, redeemer, and sustainer. Amen. We hope you enjoyed the podcast and that you will listen again in the future. If you enjoyed today's message, we hope you'll subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform and share it with others on social media. For more information about First Church Orlando, please visit our website at firstchurchorlando.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If this podcast is a valuable resource to you, we invite you to give to this ministry by making a financial contribution at firstchurchorlando.org forward slash give. Now, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.